0: Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show, we'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Business That Matters Spotlight. My name is Warren Coughlin. I'm your host and I'm really excited to talk today to Michael Brown. He's the president of Trico Homes in Calgary. Trico Homes has built over 11,000 quality single and multifamily homes in the Calgary area. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about why, but they've earned a really solid reputation for design, craftsmanship, Customer care, but probably as importantly, uh, their commitment to community. And you know, Calgary is my my old stomping grounds. I grew up there, so I'm really excited to talk to, to Michael about what's happening back there. Michael, welcome to the welcome to the spotlight.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. So, first, just for people that don't know, just tell us who is Trico Homes. Like, who do you serve? Where do you play?
1: So, we uh Trico Homes is a company that was really founded back in the early '90s. Uh, its focus was uh, single-family house homes, uh, townhouses. In the early days, it really focused in on townhouses. Uh, you know, in the last you know, last five or six years, we've gone into having rental product. Uh, we actually have a seniors component of our business, uh, where it's called Trico Living Well. And then, you know, we do have some commercial opportunities, and we do. Um, you know, our primary focus is really building the end product. Uh, we do dabble uh, a little bit in the development side of the business.
0: And how many people are there as part of the TRICO family?
1: Total, our total complement, staff complement is 160 uh, people that work for TRICO. Um, interesting, you know, the people oftentimes don't realize um, our success is really tied to our trades. And so there's numbers of uh, new suppliers and trades that. You know, those are the guys that are actually building the houses where we're more of the coordination and sales side of the business.
0: And so, how let's go down there a little bit. How, how important is the intimacy of that relationship, and what do you do to promote it for, for those yeah. trades?
1: Yeah, it's pretty critical. You know, uh, Wayne Chu, who's our founder and shareholder, um, he established a long time ago that he wanted to have long term relationships with the trades. Uh, There's a couple of ways that you can go at it. You know, you could bid your work every year. So, you know, every year say, okay, who's going to give us the lowest price? Uh, Wayne's commitment was building those long term relationships. So, we have some trades that have actually been been with us since the the 90s. Um, So, that relationship is pretty critical. Uh, In the last couple of years, uh, and even looking forward to next year, uh, that relationship is going to, I really believe, help set us apart. Um, you know, when it comes to the pressures that our trades are facing, uh, with COVID strict, uh, challenges, supply chain challenges, it's really your ability to actually sit down and work through and have that transparency, that honesty. Uh, and so, those long-term relationships with trades are they're critical. Um, we've, you know, I'm I'm really, you know, coming to Trico. I've been here for a couple of years, and coming on board to have an organization that had established relationships, had. Really, an honest conversation right from the beginning. It makes a huge difference when you're facing the adversity that we're facing today.
0: And from a pure cost structure, it's one of those interesting questions. So, in in a lot of public um, public domain activities, procurement is always around trying to get the lowest dollar. But yeah. having long term relationships also creates efficiencies. So even if there's yeah. like a higher per hour rate, but more efficiencies because you've got this intimacy, like how do you how does that play out in reality for you guys?
1: Well, you have to be really careful. You know, I've worked um, in the public and private sector, and I think you can, you can go for the lowest price, uh, but ultimately you know, what you're wanting at the end of the day is you're not wanting the lowest price, you're wanting somebody to build it for that price. And if you get into a scenario where you actually grab the lowest price, you have to be very mindful of is the person trying to buy the work. And so if they're trying to buy the work, you why know, are they gonna grind you back? Uh, they'll make their money back somehow. And so if you really want to have that transparency and you want to have that, you know, you want to, it's not that it's open book, but it's pretty close to it. Like we have a good idea of in terms of what they need to make to be, be successful. They know what we need to do to be successful. We will on some of our multifamily and other stuff tender it, um, but we do put a, you know, a preference to folks that we've worked with in the past. Uh, and it's just because we have those established relationships. I think, you know, just to reiterate, if, if you grab the lowest price, um, it's, it's going to make you feel really good for about a day. Uh, and then <laughs> as you go farther and farther, you're just going to get more and more frustrated.
0: Yeah. Pay me now or pay me later.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so for some listeners, they've, they've all seen, we've all seen communities sort of pop up, grow up on once empty pieces of land. You know, how does that happen from your perspective? Do you as a developer come in and say, we have a master plan here? Does the city come to you and say, we want a community here? You know, how does that play out?
1: Well, it really, it depends a little bit on the city. So, you know, I've worked in different parts of Canada and, and you know, you kind of touched on is what role does the city play? So in some cities like Regina's, for example, uh, the city plays a pretty significant role. They, you know, generally hold the land and they'll sell it to a developer and then the developer developed a vision and they carry it forward. In Calgary's case, the city doesn't, on residential, well, on industrial, they do play a significant role. residential they don't so what you know we do and our development partners do is we'll actually look to the future and say okay these are where the trends are this is where the city's growing um and then we'll ultimately make that purchase but sometimes you're making that purchase with a 5 10 15 year uh lifetime because you you know you're, you're essentially at that point in time you're buying farmland or you're in some cases you're buying inner city land which is a bit more established but most cases it's farmland the timing comes. Uh, you'll work through a process of developing a master plan, and what a master plan really is, the vision plus. So you've you know you've established that you know I wanted to do something like this, and this is what the elements of it are going to be, and then ultimately you need to take it through uh, the approving authority, and in Calgary's case, that's the City of Calgary. Uh, and you know around Calgary, we have the MDS, uh, counties, pieces like that. But you need to actually propose to them and say, okay. This is what we're going to bring to the marketplace. This is what we want to do, and we have to convince them that it's financially the right thing to do from a city point of view or a regional point of view. Once you have that, you carry on and you go. Th- you keep working through the planning process, so it's back and forth with the approving authority. And you're in some cases you're looking to bring on partners. In other cases, in in, in you know, Trico's unique, we have some development opportunities where we'll we'll actually grab the land and we'll take it from the beginning, uh, hopefully to the end. Uh, in other cases, we get brought in as a builder further on in the process, and that may be in a position that we actually buy into the development as a JV partner, and it also could be in a position that we're just building. So it really depends on the project. Um, when you get a company like TriCo, like we, in terms of volume, we'll, we'll, we sold uh, 550 single-family homes this year, um, 150 multifamily homes. With that kind of volume, um, and ensure that you're continuing to fill. Feed your stock, you need to ensure that you're in multiple different communities. And the partnerships vary. They really vary. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, and do you, as a developer, do you do the architecture on the homes that you're in, in these communities, or is that something that's given to you?
1: No, so the, those communities, they'll have something, it's called architectural controls. So they'll have aspirations in terms of we want it you know, to behave like this, if it, you know, want it to look a little bit like this. Um, but at Trico, we have uh, a couple of people in our design team that are pretty impressive. And what they'll do is they'll actually they'll come up with new plans, um, but then they'll actually adapt those plans to the architectural controls for those various communities.
0: Nice. And so you, you mentioned a few times the word, you know, Trico is different or Trico is unique. From your perspective yeah. as the president is the guy that sort of leads the organization now. Yeah. What, in your view, is what's the secret sauce or the source of the Trico magic? What makes it different from many other developers?
1: I think you know it really comes down to our our owner, and he established uh, kind of a mantra for us, and it's um, doing well by doing good. And uh, is we really as an organization, and to be honest, it's what attracted me to come work for Trico, is to put the community first and put our people first. And um, not suggesting that others don't do that. Um, for us, uh, I believe that's something that actually differentiates us you know when i talk to uh, council members when i talk to community members um they not only see uh trico as a business that you know it's in the profit business which we are they see it as something that adds to the community more than just building houses um we've done everything you know even if you think about the Trico uh, uh, TRICO living well program that we're putting in place um you know wayne's vision uh wayne Chu's vision is really what he wants to disrupt that space uh, he's put a significant emphasis on food, a significant emphasis on the experience of people that people are going to live in those seniors' residents. Um, that's really kind of who we are as a company: is is you know how do we take that next step? Now with that, that initiative. comes.
0: Sorry, that's the seniors' housing initiative, right?
1: Seniors' housing, yeah. But with that, when you look at our you know our single family or across, I, I think you know some of the things that we as an organization have supported over the years, not financially but also in terms of our own talents. Um, with that comes a certain, you know, you build that reputation, but you have to continue to earn that reputation. And so, you know, one of the things that uh, Trico as a company uh, puts a lot of emphasis on with their team is really just being involved in the community, being part of the community fabric. You know, when I came to Trico, I was on the board of um, the Calgary Exhibition Stampede. Uh, I was involved in some other civic endeavors, and you know Wayne was very, very supportive, of wanting me to continue to do that because that's a big part of who we are as a company.
0: And you you mentioned off off screen when we first got on, like his vision was not profit first, but actually community impact first, right?
1: It was very much, uh, you know, he tells a story of uh, when he was sitting and after graduating from university in Winnipeg um, with his buddies, and they were talking about you know what they're going to do in the world um this vision was really you know this uh, doing well by doing good is the vision that he had at that time it, you know he tells a story and, and i love the story because he tells you know they were going around the table and this guy's gonna i'm gonna make a lot of money and this guy's gonna i'm gonna have a jet airplane and this guy has this and he says well i'm doing well by doing good and everybody at the table laughs at him like you're insane um and so that's really who he is and, it, and it's uh um, you know, it's, it's really exciting to me that you have a company uh, and people in that company that reflect it, um, even to the point where we were drafting our business plan last year. Um, it was something that we were very keen to build into our business plan. I remember when COVID hit, uh, we as an organization were uh, support. We have the Trico, uh, Trico Center, which is an old leisure center um, in the community, which we had a naming sponsorship on. Uh, Covid hit. Went to Wayne and said, "Hey, you know they 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 were quite clear. If you guys want out of this, um, we realized this is going to be a tough time." He's like, nope, we've made that commitment. We're going to stick it through." So, it's very much the mantra of the company.
0: Can you can you identify or share any of the other kind of community initiatives? Like I know there was one you sponsored. It was a skate park in a sort of at risk neighborhood, or. Any of the other, I know you've involved in the theater and you've been involved in the exhibition. Yeah, like it's,
1: you know, some of the interesting, one of the big things for Wayne is uh, around social entrepreneurship. So um, the, uh, you have a partnership that uh, Trico has with, it's called the Trico Changemaker Studio, which is uh, Mount Royal University. Uh, and really it's around kind of helping students and uh, creating, uh, you know, really getting the dialogue around social entrepreneurship and continue to build it. Um, you know, in the early 2000s, as an example, as an industry, uh, home building did quite well. Um, now of the other kind of people in the real estate industry who made investments, uh, um, you know, bought this or bought that for their company or for themselves. Uh, what Wayne and LR2 uh, focused on was establishing the Trico Foundation. Um, and the foundation was really focused on that social entrepreneurship and how could it be a leader within that space um, you know, that kind of galvanized itself and as I mentioned, the Change Maker Studio uh, partnership with uh, University of Calgary uh, in the School of Business, another partnership uh, to School of Business in uh, Bow Valley College. Um, you know, there's many, many examples of where as a company or, you know, Wayne has uh, really stepped up uh, and really committed to, you know, it, a lot of times what when you do these uh, sponsorship opportunities. It's about building up your personal name recognition. Right. Um, and really, you know, one thing I've seen with Wayne and and I've seen with us as a company, it, it, that's never the starting point. There may be some benefit, but the starting point is really about helping somebody do something different uh, and something that's going to make Calgary a better place.
0: So I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, and I don't know if you know this, because this it may have been Wayne's origins. Um, But in this in this kind of space and in the space I play in with this podcast too, there's there's often conversations about the tension between doing well and doing good. Like so he started out, it's not like so his thesis was that he's gonna wind up doing well because he does good. But early on, I I imagine, you know, when you're just starting out in a new business, especially in real estate, managing your assets and cash flows is difficult. Like when when was the doing good baked in from the beginning? Was it something that, you know, we'll do that once we hit a certain threshold and how is that, how is that tension between profitability and impact balanced?
1: Yeah. Like, so one is, I think it's innately who he is. Um, You know, uh, when I asked him about why did he get into home building? um, He says, well, the, the most critical thing to somebody's life is providing shelter. And so I think that was always um, the starting point uh, for him. Now, with that said, is you know we're a for-profit company. Um, uh, we continue to make money. Um, I think that that's the scenario where you know you know I can't speak for Wayne, but my observations is, is that um, I I have to believe that he looks at it and says you know you can have both. Um, they're they're not mutually exclusive. Um, you know, I don't, you know, when I hear back to some of the stories in the early days of decisions that he made for, on his earlier projects where he could have, you know, we had partners walk away and he kind of stayed at the table and maybe lost some money uh, to do the right thing. That was always part of who he was. It's it's a, it's a, and, you know, if you meet the Chu family and it's interesting to me, it kind of carries its way through Eleanor and his wife and also his kids. Um, they really are focused on uh, the community. Um, They're really driven by that.
0: That's awesome. And that's, you know, I think the thing you just said is probably the hardest thing and it really shows the depth of character is if someone's willing to walk away from something because it isn't the right thing.
1: Yeah, and it's a hard
0: decision to make when you actually walk away because it's wrong, but that's that's showing your commitment to what's right and what's wrong.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Now, there's something I I want to get to about your industry, because it, it is an interesting industry. But I think we need to understand a little bit about your personal background. Like you played on both sides of the public-private fence in this. I game. have, yeah. You worked in public sphere private, and if I read it right, you've bounced a couple of times. So, first question yeah. is, how did how did that come about? How did you do this sort of bouncing? You, usually, I well, think people play in one box or the other.
1: Yeah, so you know my. My career progression is um, when I finished university, I got into working in economic development, which is really selling Calgary as a place to do business. Um, did, um, my mind, I did quite well with it. I got to the point where I was a vice president. I struggled uh, in the economic development space because it wasn't as tangible as I wanted it to be. So I thought, hey, you know, I'm in to this is about my early thirties. I thought I would reinvent myself in real estate. So when I got my real estate license, I ended up working for a developer uh, worked on some really interesting projects, um, you know, worked on the Bow Building in Calgary, the Convention Centre in Winnipeg, um, did some work over in Doha in Qatar, in Qatar. did some stuff in Vancouver. Um, enjoyed it a lot, um, but really loved that city building side of things. And then so I shifted across uh, in 2011, uh, I headed up an organization called Calgary Municipal Land Corporation, which was focused on uh, you know, basically revitalization of the East side of downtown. Um, some of the projects we did when I was there was, you know, the new central library, uh, that's kind of a lot of accolades that it globally. Um, sold a number of land positions also to the, uh, you built a number of infrastructure projects, not that I did it, but the team did it. Um, and then got to the point where after I had worked through, uh, CMLC was involved in the early days. Well involved in getting the arena deal signed in Calgary. And it's like, okay, I've done my time. Now it's time to go back to the private sector. Um, I was really fortunate that uh, Wayne had kind of called me. Uh, well, uh, a headhunter called me and said, would well, I be interested in Trico? And Trico kind of had the ability to check a couple of boxes for me, you know, be in the for-profit world, but still have the community be community centric, uh, which is something that, you know, I grew up with always thinking you need to put community first. And so for me, it was a really natural transition to shift over to Trico. Uh, so my background, I you know, I bounce back and forth. I like that. Um, I don't think I'll bounce back again in, in my career progression because I, you know, I'm getting a little older. Um, but I enjoy city building projects, being involved in them. and I, But I also enjoy, um, you know, working with a talented team like I get at Trico.
0: Interesting. And I I almost want to pause there for a second for like, this is usually the people we interview here are the, are the founders or owners and you're a, you're a leader and president, but it's just reinforcing the message that what, what attracted you to the business as an employment opportunity wasn't just salary or position, but was in fact the values of the organization, that that was, that was a selling point
1: for you. It it really was. And you know, the, just as a proof point, I looked at other opportunities and, um, um you know when i was thinking about cage okay, time to do something different and um it, it's interesting we all have these scenarios where we're looking at opportunities or looking at life changes and you're reviewing it with your kids or reviewing it with your wife and um when i reviewed it with uh, my wife um and my kids cuz my kids at the time would have been uh, 14 and 16 um my wife said you know she got all excited because she goes they're a b corp did you know they're a b corp and it was a scenario where it checked a big box for her and it checked a big box for me and so uh, it was nice uh it really was attractive to me because um you know i've always been community first i've always been driven by you know creating a great place for many and it really kind of lined up very very well
0: nice now so the part of, a couple of things about this industry so i i I was once involved in an initiative here in Toronto to redevelop what yeah. Toronto's called a priority neighborhood. And in fact, I was kind of mediating between uh, a public and a private sector mm-hmm. entities. And it was, it, what I found really fascinating was, well, like everyone had the same high level objective in terms of the community building yes. and doing well for the people in that community. The criteria were so different. Like the private yes. sector you know they 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 had a need to ensure that there was just sufficient stock to provide a reasonable rate of return while yeah. providing these community amenities you know on on what are pretty substantial investments the public groups were having concerns about density and traffic flows and sewer capacities and issues yeah. of access and justice and community life and you know, I'm I just curious. First, like having played so many roles, how does that inform your approach to development? Like, you you kind of understand the public objective, but you've got this private piece. Well, so does that does that like help you when you're dealing with the public oh,
1: Absolutely, because um, I don't know if in, the, in your, I agree with you that you know nobody, everybody wants to build a great community. Like the, you know the, the private guys when they come to the table, they want to have a good you know they want a good outcome. The public does as well. Um, One of the areas that I noticed is just the use of language between the two groups. Um, Mm. And oftentimes the language is, um, and I'm sure when you're mediating, you'd see this is where somebody would say a word, um, say like density, and it would have an emotionally charged reaction to one side or the other. Totally. And so where (laughs) I think one of the things I've been able to do, and and there's, you know, I'm not unique, others can do it, but is the ability to kind of translate between the two sides um we we when you're working it through anything that has any kind of challenge or or difficulties um if you don't have a common understanding of the language and how it's being used and you know even you think about as a home builder there's a perspective um and this is what's helped us as a company because we're seen as community so community centric but there's this uh, a, a perspective that if you're on the public side is that you could view us as being selfish, you know, profit-driven, and, and you know, not really focused on what's best for the community, what's best for ourselves. And so it's it's really how do you build that common understanding? And you know, with the uh, uh, the folks at the, in the more in the public side of the world, I find to be more left-leaning, and more in the private side is more right-leaning. So they they you know they have their Filter that we see the world is, and, and so for me, it's always been the ability to kind of break it down to its components, and yeah. get those you know where we can agree, and and not allow uh, people to get entrenched um, on either side. Uh, you know, some of the most remarkable projects that I've been involved in in my life um, are ones that, because you had that yin and yang and you had that tension, it forces you actually do something better, um, and you actually accomplish more, and so. For me, that's where I get excited is is kind of to allow that tension to take place. You know, we've all been on teams where everybody's always agreeable. That's actually not good is you you actually want to have a team where people are pushing back. Uh, My my favorite uh, staff members that I've ever had that I work with are ones when I say, you know, I believe this. And they say, well, Mike, I think you're wrong because of this, this and this. And then we actually get to a better outcome. And then you fire them. Yeah, well, eventually we have to move them out, but it's a, for that short period of time, it, it seems perfect.
0: <laughs> it was a beautiful, shining moment before they were gone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I'm kidding. I know that. I, I agree with you. That I always call it creative yeah. friction when, when people.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, fo- folks like me and in my industry, and business professors and pundits, you know, we talk a lot about brand value and about uniqueness, yeah. to make the business more attractive. But in your industry, this is one of the things I've always been kind of intrigued by right? Like the theory is though those attributes will sort of justify or support either higher fees or greater loyalty. But on the other hand, you always hear like public procurement is often tasked with getting things for like lower cost or higher fees or higher densities. So how much does the brand reputation actually impact the public decision-making as to who gets the work and how the deal is constructed, as opposed to just we're picking the words and figures out of the response to the RFP?
1: Yeah, like we when I was at work at you know in the public side, what I advocated for was a two-step process. One was an RFQ, so you know make sure we get to the point everybody that's applying can do the work. And so that was always it's important. For
0: listeners, RFQ is
1: yeah. And so uh, request for qualifications. Yeah, uh, and so it and gives RFP us an opportunity to kind of proposal, right. Yeah, and then do an RFP after that. Um, the RF. W- you know, one of the things you'll see is, is that um, if, you put, if you put out an opportunity and it's whether in the private and public um, and you put out an opportunity and if somebody's, you know, newer into business, more entrepreneurial, more kind of, you know, this is the first time they've done this piece of work um, to get their foot in, they'll buy the work. And so buy the work is they'll actually come in a bid that's lower than what the costs are. Um, as a, you know, somebody that's looking at those, that's attractive because it improves your performance. But what my experience has been is when you go through that is, is that uh, it really will cost you in the fact that the person can't execute on the work that they're committed to, or they're going to coming back and talking about extras um, and continually talking about extras. And so what I've always advocated for is, um, you know, really doing this kind of request for qualifications up front and and knowing that but, you know, it's like a good job interview process. Is if you think about, you know, you got hundreds of candidates apply for a job, you pull five out that you're going to interview. You know, of those five, they can all do the job. So then it comes down to fit. And so in our case, when you think about you know bringing on a trade or a supplier, uh, you know, especially in my past life in public, I want to make sure everybody that's at the table can do the job. Once I know that, then I'm, yeah, I can focus in on price.
0: And so on a similar vein. For the home buyer, how much does that brand influence their purchase decisions? So you know, like you, you guys do a lot in the community, but is it just like, hi, this house is $50,000 less than that one, so I'm buying yeah. it? Yeah,
1: well, it's, it's, you know, there. Are, I wouldn't say every buyer's uh, the same, but I think generally, um, you know, if I'm a buyer, what I'm concerned about is longevity. So, you know, does the, the you know, the company that I'm buying the home from have a future in front of them so that if I have any problems, I have somebody I can go back to. Um, They'll look at, um, you know, what their consumer confidence scores are. Um, You know, know, we call them AVID scores and really it's a way of, um, you know, customer experience, you know, rating it. Uh, Well, they'll look at in terms of the quality of the home. Oftentimes they'll do that by going to look at other homes, other show homes that have been built that you've done. All those things kind of Roll up into your perception or your brand, um, and so you know we're fortunate in the fact that Trico's history that it has a very strong brand within our community. Um, it's a one where you know the doing good by doing doing well by doing good is something that people feel, um, but they also have you know people in their lives that have had a good Trico experience. So that's a brand. Now the part that I you know, sensitive to is is that when you have that as your brand, so that's, you know, when you're looking at the imagery of Trico and you feel kind of those things coming off of it, you know, that commitment, that's a brand promise. And so you've got that brand promise. So now your job is to ensure that you always live up to that brand. You always live up to that brand promise. And I think when you think of companies, that's one of the things that, and interesting enough, when you deviate, from that brand promise or that commitment, it is very difficult to make back. Um, it you know it's, it can quite easily go the other way. So you know for us as we're going through um, really a, an incredibly busy time in terms of selling homes, um, you know the team that I work with is mindful of you know ensuring that we continue to hit that standard, so that you know the, that, you know the customer experience is there because we know that if we continue to have the customer experience. We continue at that standard. We'll get future sales. We'll you know we'll have a good runway. If we if Trico's name becomes one of you know stay away from Trico, that'll be very difficult for us to make up.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, we you know, I I lived in Calgary, so I know it's it's yeah. character. And it's it's a city that has a lot of civic pride. You know, Calgary is a very proud place. Um, do they? Does that translate into a loyalty for Trico, like being a local company? That's been involved in the community. Is there sort of reciprocation that people in the community, like, hey, these are, these are local folks who are doing good, so we want to we want to yeah. support them.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I and I think you know, get back to my own experience. You know, I'm a third generation Calgarian. Uh, you know, both my mom and dad were born here; their parents were born here. Um, the very much so. Like it's it's, and, and I don't think that's unique to Calgary. I think with in the home building industry. Um, you generally want to have a trade or you want to have somebody that's actually grounded within your community. We've looked at and, you know, thought about taking what Trico's done here and putting it in other communities, you know. And one of the things that I'm quite conscious of is, is that if you're going to success, you have to get the full Trico experience. And so the full Trico experience is you've got to be part of the community. You've got to be present. You, you I don't believe that as a home builder, you can parachute in, do a little bit of work and then parachute out. Um, you really need to be connected to the community because the, the home buyer, um, you know, that's a proof point for them. And I think that's, I think it's a Calgary thing, but I also think it's across the board is that people generally want, it's not just support the local companies, but they want the local, you know, presence. They want to know that they're committed to the counter.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So I've got, just, just before we finish up, I got a few rapid fire questions that I always yeah, ask. For sure. if you can, yeah, for sure. you About 10 of them, I think. Um, so one decision or action that most helped you get where you are?
1: One decision or action that most helps to get where they are?
0: That got you where you are?
1: Oh, since uh, uh, be open to change. Um, I've, you know, I'm really lucky. Uh, this is it's kind of a longer answer, but I'm really lucky because early on in my career, I changed my career path. So I've never felt limited. Um, and so you never know when the next opportunity is going to present itself.
0: Nice. That's good. That's good insight. If I had to do it over again, I would.
1: Uh, University. I would. uh, I was, uh, you know, my, my, my background is a political science degree and I'll, I'll be honest. I'm always honest with everybody. They say, why did you pick political science? And I'll say, well, I had more political science classes than anything else. And so I just needed to get it done. Um, You know, if I went back (laughs) in school, I, I would have put more of an emphasis on it. But as my mom would tell you, I didn't really grow up until I was 25. So that's what happens.
0: Well, that, that's young. I, I, I'm i still waiting to grow up. <laughs> uh, on the days I enjoy most, I
1: am? Uh, dynamic, um, engaged, um, you know, from a work or even a life point of view. Uh, I'd say it's, it's the days where um, I really feel like I'm present. And I really feel like there's a lot going on. And, you know, I, it's just constantly thinking, I really enjoy that
0: one aspect of running a business I have yet to master?
1: Well, it's interesting, as much as I enjoy change, I would say I haven't mastered change. Um, The, you know, changing market dynamics is something that um, I'm getting better at, but I definitely feel sometimes that I'm kind of late to the game uh, in terms of making the adjustments internally within the, and it doesn't, I think this is everybody struggles with it. You know, you, you want to be ahead of it, Uh, but you do find it some, uh, you know, more than you want to be your reaction. My
0: biggest learning.
1: My biggest learning Uh, probably in life is you never know where the answer is going to come from. Um, You know, the, if you keep talking uh, through things, um, you know, and you just keep engaging with people, um, you, you always get a little bit more. And, you know, the, and it, it could be anywhere from, in our case, you know, Wayne as a shareholder, it could be to the receptionist, it could be the, the different people's perceptions uh, provide a lot of value.
0: And two final personal ones. So
1: one yeah. personal
0: quality that I most had to improve or overcome?
1: Patience. Yeah, you patience.
0: Less, of or, uh, less of it or more of it.
1: Yeah, so yeah, well, uh, patience. So one of the uh, pieces for me is I've got a pretty good, strong drive um I have a desire to get things done uh even on you know on the family side or the work side is you know I've learned to let it the other person needs to go through their own experience um it's not necessarily my experience so that's been a big lesson for me
0: and no false humility what's the one personal quality that most contributed to your success
1: um I came from a family of natural leaders and so uh it's one of the things that I've been lucky to inherit from my mom and dad, and you know, even my grandparents, is leadership capacity and a desire to really make people better around me. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: that's nice. It's nice that it's rooted in a in a family background as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a, you're a sort of a living testimony to your those that came before you. Then
1: we all are. That's the most important part. Yeah.
0: Nice. So, where can people find you?
1: Uh, when people can find me, uh, you know, obviously in Calgary, if they ever, if they want it, to, get be honest, uh, trichohomes.com, they can take a peek at that. Yep. Um, and then There's some great stories me, on know. there. In the,
0: on the differences. There's some great stories on that website about the differences you guys have made.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if they ever get super that interested, uh, you can you know, give a call into the front desk and we'll see if we work something through.
0: all right well thank you so much for your time i really enjoyed it it's been educational both in terms of real estate but also how how someone can so passionately integrate values into the objective of the business and and actually make a difference in a significant way in a community so i thank you very much for sharing that
1: no thanks for the opportunity appreciate it
0: all righty cheers Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful, values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoughlin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's Warren, dot ncom slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Business That Matters Spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencogman.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash matters, and Instagram at warren.cogman.